And uh, we are going to take the time to read it today. It's got 50 verses, so it's going to take us a few minutes to get through it. I want to give just a couple words of introduction that are given to you. Uh, most of your King James Bible have Bibles have the uh, the the added notes that are given in the uh, top of the uh, Psalms. There, uh, this Psalm was written by David. Uh, there's plenty of proof to that uh, extent, and it was written to uh, the chief musician. David refers to himself as the servant of the Lord. This is an interesting thing that David David calls himself this in this in this particular thing. Uh, as he titles this, but it's interesting to note that at the time David writes this, he's already king of Judah, and nowhere in the passage or in the uh, title of this psalm does he allude to the fact that that he has any title or any uh, royalty, and he is he is counting being a servant of the Lord to be a higher honor than even being the king of Judah itself, and uh, the reason for the writing of this was. Uh, when God brought, finally brought deliverance to him uh, from his enemies and especially from the hand of Saul. Uh, there's a parallel account of this particular psalm, if you want to take time to read it, maybe later this afternoon, in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And you'll see the events that, uh, that he's speaking of here as he uh, writes this particular psalm. And um, the psalm is a psalm of a, of a grateful heart. Um, and you can you can see the how he's overwhelmed. It seems like he's going to use a lot of and and, and especially in it, he does so in all the psalms, but in this one particularly, he uses very strong poetic language, and we're going to see some of that in a little bit. Um, and because he's so overwhelmed uh, as he ponders and he and he weighs and he meditates on God's. Faithfulness, his deliverance, his manifold mercies to him. Uh, David is just literally to the point of being overwhelmed by it. And um, so uh, Charles Spurgeon made this statement about this psalm. He said, It were well if we had a more single eye to the honor of the Lord in our singing and all other hallowed exercises that praise is little worth which is not directed solely and hardly to the Lord. And the idea that when we come to, to sing, when we come to bring praise to the Lord, that our focus, our intent focus ought to be on Him being the object of that worship. And uh, we're going to see that here in just a little bit. There are several divisions that we'll look at uh, throughout this, and we're going to give them to you here quickly. The first three verses is just kind of a, a prelude. It's kind of a time of David laying... Uh, kind of what the subject matter is going to be about. And uh, he's resolved to bless the Lord. He said, I, I'm, I'm committed to this thing. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to praise Him, and y'all might as well sit tight, because here we go, kind of thing. And so he spends three verses kind of preparing uh, the psalm. Then verses 4 through 19, uh, he sings of or brings into the psalm uh, the mercy that God had shown by His deliverance. The mercy that God had shown him by his deliverance, and he praises God for that in verses 4 through 19. In verses 20 to 28, he declares that God had rewarded David because of his righteousness. David had had behaved himself rightly, and God was giving him reward for that. And so, uh, verses 20 to 28, he's speaking of the fact that God had rewarded uh, his righteousness. In verse 29 to 45, uh, once again, he's just kind of expressing his joy, his gratitude. 
But he also brings into this section, uh, because of the joint gratitude of the deliverance that he had from the Lord, that he also anticipates uh, future deliverance because of that. And then verses 46 to 50, uh, he is very specifically, uh, prophetically looking forward to the Messiah, uh, the Lord's anointed. Um, there comes a point here after verse number 3, from verse 4 and further down, that while David uses um, actual events, literal events, word pictures, things that he derives from his own deliverance that God gave him from his foe Saul, uh, it's very important to note that all of those verses from verse 4 on that David uses his own experiences to praise God for ultimately really point to the Lord Jesus Christ also. And he is really the theme. Christ is really the theme of this particular psalm. As you'll uh, read through this, you'll see uh, how that David uses um, very real, very practical things that happened in his life, but point us to the Lord Jesus, uh, the, the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one. And um, uh, so we'll take a look at this. So having kind of that framework uh, to base off of, let's go ahead and read through it, and then we'll get into it uh, a little more verse by verse. He begins, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deli- and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. <clears throat> I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. As the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The highest gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of water were seen, and the fountains of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. 
For all His judgments were before me, and I did not put any away His statutes from me. I was also upright before Him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight, eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and my God have I leapt over, leaped over a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. For who is God, save the Lord? And who is a rock, save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken by, uh, by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength under the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of their, uh, their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. He is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. Well, what a psalm. As we get to verse number 1, we find, as often the psalmist does, a fervency of emotion, a, a, a fervent spirit, if you will, as he says, and he makes a strong statement, a strong commitment right off the bat. He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Well, there's an awful lot packed into just a few words there. And I just want to start by saying this, that the Bible tells us, and Jesus told us, that the greatest commandment of Scripture is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. 
And I'm thankful that as I get into the Psalms and I see the heart that David has for his God, we find that David was a man who was certainly not unwilling to serve God selflessly. He was willing to give sacrificially of himself. In fact, a few weeks ago we were talking about uh, the time where he sinned. And, uh, and Ordan gave him the threshing floor and the instruments of wood and the oxen for the sacrifice. And David said, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do something that doesn't cost me something. I want to make sure. David was willing to sacrifice for God. He had a heart to serve God. And he was a man who longed to please God with his life and with his service. But the thing that marks, us, marks David's character to me in all of the things I know of him, higher than any other attribute, higher than his desire to serve, higher than his desire to be pleasing to God, the thing that I, I, mo- I most note about David is his love for God. I mean, a man who just passionately fervently, with every fiber of his being, loves his God. I mean, what else would take a young man who I'm certain was fearful in the flesh to stand before a giant, a man of war, and to go to this giant and say, I'm not going to let you blaspheme the God of Israel other than his love for his God. I'm amazed at how a young boy could go to a giant and and, and fight him with weapons he wasn't even trained with, and defy him because he was blaspheming God. And we live in a day where all around us, people blaspheme our God. Do we love Him that much? That we're willing to ask people and tell people and stand up to people and say, do not blaspheme my God. I'm not going to stand here and let you do that. David loved God with all of his heart. And in verse number 1, he says, I will love thee. And here's that word, that expression that, that some people say is almost a, a groan of emotion. The word, oh. Where the emotion is so strongly felt. The, 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 the passion of that word is so strongly uttered. That it's almost as it comes from a groan from inside. I will love thee, O Lord. And then he uses this phrase, my strength. David, over and over throughout the Psalms, in Psalm 119, you'll find at least a number of occasions where he will reference the fact that if it were not for God and His precepts and His statutes, that His very life would not be able to exist. He says, I could not live without it. Your words are the things that that cause me to exist. They're the things that I long for, the things I live for. And I often wonder this in my life. And maybe this would be a good question for us to ask on on occasion. Do the words of God mean that much to me? That if I did not have them, I could not even live? He refers here to the fact that God is His strength. He's the one that gives him existence. He's the one that allows him to, to move and to, and to have his existence and do the things that David does. And all of this, all of this stems from his love for God. I know we in the day that we live say, I love God. If someone were to ask us, do you love God? Yes, I love God. We make verbal profession of it. 
And I think there's even a level of sincerity in most of our hearts. I believe there is. And even if our love is not what it should be, at least our desire to love Him more is there. But I wonder if we can ever get to a place where our love was like David's. To where, to where our love for God was overwhelming to us. It, it, was every, it, was, it was everything about us. It was our strength. It was our life. He loves the Lord so much, and he refers to the fact that God is his strength. As we get to verse number 2, and I love verse number 2. It's, I, I could probably spend two or three weeks preaching a series on verse number 2. But I want you to look at it with me. We're not going to do that today, but I want you to look at it with me. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. A songwriter wrote years ago, The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Over and over again, David speaks of God being his rock and his refuge, his rock and his fortress, his rock and in and, 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 and the references that he uses oftentimes, He's referring to God defending him and or concealing him from trouble. He's put me in the cleft of the rock. Uh, Moses was put in the cleft of the rock. He was hidden there. He's concealed from the the thing that could hurt him or harm him. Uh, David often refers to this as a rock of defense. A rock that allows him to be protected or sheltered. And so he starts off by saying, the Lord is my rock. And then he says, uh, he is my fortress. He is my fortress. Oftentimes we are sheltered by God, aren't we? I know that as a Christian, uh, the Bible doesn't say that we're, everything's going to be fine, that we're never going to have trouble. But I believe one of these days when we get to heaven and we see all that God sheltered us from, we're going to be amazed. While there have been things we've been allowed to go through, and God chose to allow us to go through them and strengthen us through it rather than to shelter us from it, there is no doubt our Bible teaches that there are many times that God puts a hand of sheltering over His children. We're sheltered from the strife and the fury of the storms of life oftentimes. He says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, And my deliverer. David knew what he was speaking of here. How often we've read Psalms of David while he was being pursued by Saul. While he was being pursued by his enemies and his foes. And would speak of the disparity of life itself. And yet God would deliver him time and time and time again. He's on the backside of that now. He no longer is facing Saul's imminent uh, death threats. He has now been delivered from the majority of his foes. And this psalm is a psalm of joyful praise to God for his deliverance. So when he calls God his deliverer, David knows whereof he speaks. He's not saying this lightly. He's saying this from a man of experience who has gone through it and has come out on the other side. And I'll tell you, I know that there are many of us that today could give testimony of this, could we not? Where we have gone through a valley that we thought, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever make it through this. I, I don't know if it's even going to be feasible to, to, I don't understand what's going on and I, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. There's too many uncertainties and, and, and my, my heart is in despair. But God brings us through it. 
And He does so in, in, in the sweetness of that as we look back and say, He delivered me. And then He goes on to say this, and I love this. My God. Notice how He started this verse. He says, in verse number 2, He starts off by saying, The Lord. Now, again, not to get into a lot of semantics here, but when you see all capital, the word Lord in all capitals, the, the idea is you're referring to God Almighty Himself, who He is, the God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I Am. This, this, is, God's, this is God's proper name. This is God being high and lifted up. And, and as he had the view of God, he says, God, this God of the universe, this almighty God, the, uh, the one that says, I am, and, and he's all of that. The one that, is, that Isaiah saw, I believe, in Isaiah 6, when it said he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And when he spoke, the, the, the posts of the door were shaken. As we read into the psalm, uh, when, when God began to move on David's behalf, he uses a lot of poetic language of all the things that began to tremble. And the fountains of the deep burst forth, and the, <coughs> the might of God. And this is what that, that first part of the verse is referring to, is he says, The Lord, the Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer. And then he uses something from going to the place of saying, I acknowledge him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God Almighty, to, I'm going to bring it down now to a personal level. He's my God. This great God that I spoke of in the early part of the verse, He refers to here as my God. He's mine. He, 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 he has my interest at stake. He's concerned about me. He has sought for me. And I am His. And He is mine. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Can I tell you this? This idea of strength that was spoken of here is the second time now we've seen it. As he speaks about him being his strength, it differs from him being the rock. For you see, the rock is the one that does the concealing and does the sheltering. But when he is your strength, he's the one that gives you the ability to be unmovable. To anchor yourself. Instead of having containment or being hidden, uh, concealment or being hidden, it gives us a firmness and resolve. The Lord is my strength. And because He is my strength, He says, in whom will I trust? And I will say this. It requires for us to have the mind of David in this passage to get to this place where David is. It requires faith, but not just faith. It requires faith to be exercised. It requires our faith to be exercised. The idea of trusting is not just a stagnant faith of believing that God is able to do something. There's a lot of people that believe God is able to do something, isn't there? In fact, Satan himself does. The Bible says that. Satan knows what God's abilities are. That doesn't mean he's trusting for God to do them. It's not with anticipation. I, my mom has a plaque in her kitchen. I, I, I found several years, a number of years ago, and got for her, or she had gotten it somewhere, and uh, and I, I loved it so much. I, I, it says, "Faith is not believing that God can; it's trusting that He will." And and I understand what they mean by that. Faith is certainly both of it. You have to believe both. 
but often in our faith is just believing that God will and not trusting, or tr- believing that God can, not trusting that He will. We don't ever put it into action. We don't ever get to the place where we say, I'm going to, I'm going to launch out into the deep and let down my nets at the word of the Lord because He said to. I don't see any sense in it, but I'm going to trust Him. Or stepping out of the boat when He tells him, Peter to walk out onto the water with Him. Not understanding it, not, not necessarily knowing that it's going to do anything, but, but trusting Christ at His Word. Where, where are the days of Christian people having active faith, exercised faith? I think for far too long we've made faith a, a plaque on the wall. We've made it a, a saying that we, we hold to rather than an action that we invest in, something that we put our faith in and actively work with. When was the last time we stepped out when God said go? When was the last time we said, Lord, I don't understand it, but at Your Word, I'll do it. God is perpetually ours. He's not just ours occasionally. He's not just ours in times of trouble. He is there all the time. And our faith must be enacted. We must get to the place where we can trust Him with every aspect of our life. He's an unchanging God. God never changes. If that doesn't help us with our faith, if that doesn't cause us to say, as the psalmist did, I will trust Him, or in whom I will trust, He's an unchanging God. He's a God of infinite power and might. Infinite power and might. And how often, I was, I was listening to a guy this week that was... Uh, he had he'd gotten some clips from some preachers that were out here preaching. And one of these guys that was trying to, again, trying to encourage people that they were little gods. That they were just like God. And when he did that, he, 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 he and, and I don't, there's men like that, I certainly, I don't even think they're even sincere. I think they're just dead wrong and they know they're wrong. But they try to bring God down to our human level. Can I tell you this? God is of infinite power. He's of infinite might. He cannot be exhausted. No wonder David said, in whom I will trust. In whom I will trust. How often we don't trust Him. Oh, we have an intellectual knowledge, don't we? That He can do anything. We've been taught that since we were little. I remember growing up in church in Sunday school and hearing the stories. Hearing of David and Goliath and Samson and Gideon and Daniel and the three Hebrew children and all of the great miracles of God throughout history. And to hear the uh, wonderful stories of deliverance of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. And you think, boy, God is able to do so many things. And then we don't ever translate that into our own life. And say, not only do I believe He can, but I'm going to now trust that He will. That David said... He's delivered me. He's been faithful. He's been my fortress. He's been my strength. He's been my rock in whom I will trust. Not only has He delivered me in the past, I believe He will in the future. And therefore, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. He refers to Him here as His buckler. The idea that He shields and wards off the enemy. 
He's the horn of His salvation, He says in verse number 2. Enabling Him to triumph over His foes. Then He goes on to say, He is my high tower. I love this one. I was reading this one. I came across this one. I was reading Spurgeon's commentary on it. And he said this. He said, The citadel is a high tower of defense set high above the reach of my enemies. No need for alarm. He is my high tower. No need for alarm. For I am set above my high my enemies. Verse number 3, and we'll probably just make it through the preface today. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. What a great, great, great verse. This is, this is an expression of David. Uh, as he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And, and the idea here is that he goes into the battle with the song of praise already on his lips. Isn't that an amazing thought? Already on his lips. When the, when the trials of life come, when the battles of life still come, to go into it already, he's already expressed, I will trust in thee. He's already saying, he's already saying, he's already delivered me. He's my fortress. He's my high tower. He's my rock. He's my shield. He's my strength. And to go into the battle with the praise of God already on his lips. There's a vividly clear vision that David has here. Vividly clear. Because of God's faithfulness in the past, David has no doubt, no doubt, that God will be faithful to continue to do well with him in the future. How often our faith grows calloused and cold when we forget to remind ourselves of God's past faithfulness to us. How happy a thing, someone said, to receive fresh mercy with a heart that is already sensible of the mercy enjoyed. Think about that. How happy a thing to receive fresh mercy with a heart already sensible of the mercy enjoyed and to anticipate new trials with the confidence based upon past experience of divine love. To go to the battle with praise upon our lips. We're going to take, uh, I want to get into, the next section is where we begin some, some other things. And I'm about five minutes early. So I'm probably going to go ahead and end there because I don't want to start verse 4 and, and then pick up there. But I do want to give you a little bit of preface here real quick and I can maybe do that in the next minute. So from verse, from verse number 4 down through uh, probably about verse number 45 or so, <clears throat> David is going to start using... A lot of very poetic language, okay, and we're going to—I'll explain some of that a little bit to you next uh, week, a little, and, and kind of give you some examples of that a little bit. Um, and I, I mentioned it a little bit at the onset here, as we kind of were starting the, the psalm. Um, while David is going to use some of the elements of God's deliverance from Saul and from some of his enemies in these verses, especially down through about verse twenty or so, um, you're going to see that ultimately 
it still points to where Christ is the central theme of it, the coming Messiah, uh, who was also uh, our once distressed Savior. He went through the, the earthly ministry here. He went through the crucifixion and uh, certainly had enemies come pass him around. And a lot of the things you'll hear David speak about, we need to keep in mind that are very, very relevant and very clearly distinguished at uh, speaking of uh, the trials that some of the things our Lord will have to go through. And trying to keep him as the preeminent thing throughout this, this psalm, I think, is critical. And I think we find that all tied together as we get to the very last two verses of this psalm. When the, when the psalmist speaks about the fact um, of the great deliverance uh, that he giveth to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. And, of course, the seed being the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a messianic uh, type of a psalm, even though it is dealing with David's specific literal events, are used very much so to point to the coming Messiah. So uh, keep that in mind next week as we start in verse 4 and move through this and as we read some of this poetic language. And when I say poetic language, what I mean by that are things like, um, the Lord heard me from His holy temple. Uh, that's an expression that, uh, if you're not careful, you'll think, well, then David was down here, God was busy in His temple not paying attention, and David cried out to Him and got God to listen to Him. Okay, That's the type of language that's used, but we understand that God is always in tune with His children and always hears them, right? So, so again, I just want to give you a little example of some of the, the type of ways He's going to word things here, and there's a reason why He does it. And we'll look into that a little bit more next week and give you some explanation. And that will hopefully help you, as you read a psalm like this, not to be confused with the language that's used, but to look for what David is actually saying with it. And so hopefully that will help you a little bit. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful once again for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it in our lives. Lord, help us to grow by it. I know that we sometimes get very granular in these verses, but...